pray together for a moment, please. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord, and worthy to be praised. Your name is far above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth. And so we praise you, and we welcome you, Holy Spirit. You're here. You're with us. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill your word and release it to us. You would open up to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You would fill my words that they might lead us to Jesus and that he might be glorified. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Love my job as a pastor. It's an honor to preach the gospel and to share life with people, to help people encounter the love of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, to know just how good the good news is, to help people connect to God who loves you and then to find purpose for your lives. Now, when God called me to do this, I didn't realize, well, I didn't realize that the work would never really end. And and this is what I mean. I'm essentially in the people business. And the thing about people is, like, you never really get to complete it. Like, you never really get to, like, oh, she's finished. (laughs) I I mean, even when you bury someone, and, and we do that, you still have a work that goes on because now you're ministering to the family and to the people who are there, and, and it just moves on, and it keeps on going. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm just reflecting a little bit this morning. <laughs> That's probably why I like painting rooms in my house so much. Because, see, when you're in a room and you paint it, once it's done, man, it's done. <laughs> Until your wife wants it repainted. But you're finished. It's complete. The task is over. That's also why I like something that a lot of people hate. I like mowing my lawn because I don't have that much grass for one thing. And when I'm done, it's done. Yeah, I got to do it again later. But there's a very there's a very small window of time that I have to spend. It's complete. It's finished. I can look at it and go, boy, that's lovely. (laughs) Wish it was greener, but it is still lovely. I wonder how many of you enjoy completing tasks. Like your task list people. Anybody like a task list? Oh boy, there's a lot of hands. Like, you know, you're checking the box. Maybe you're scratching through. You might even take like black marker and make it real like it's gone. It's over. You get to the end and woohoo! Like there's peace. There's completion. It's done. I finished until the next task list. But there's a sense of completion. And the thing is, I think the reason that we like it is because we're created in the image of God and God Well, God likes completions also. And I know this biblically. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, God who began a good work in you will see it through to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So God himself completes things. After all, he is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the greatest sentence that was ever uttered was uttered on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. It's complete. The work is done. Now, as we look at Acts 19 today, we're continuing on in our Outward Bound series. This is the second of the last week, by the way. Hope you've enjoyed it. I know I sure have. In Acts 19 today, we're going to see two completions. The first is a complete conversion. 
And the second is a complete consecration. A complete conversion and a complete consecration. Do you hear the preacher in me? I got a lot of C's in there today. A complete conversion and a complete consecration. That latter word is not one we use a lot, so we'll unpack it a little bit when we get there. Now, a little background will help to set the stage. Paul is now on what is called his third missionary journey. We might call this his third mission trip as he's journeying around the ancient world. This will be his last mission trip prior to his heading to Jerusalem where he'll be arrested and then eventually sent on to Rome where he'll be executed eventually. There's more time in Paul's life. It's going to take a while for all that to unpack. But for us, we're in the third mission journey. And today we get to Ephesus. Let's look at your scripture sheet if you've got it. Or if you've got a handheld device or something, you've got a, you know, one of these things, an old-fashioned good old Bible. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Ephesus is a, a book of the Bible also. You've read the epistle to the Ephesians. Paul has finally made it to Ephesus. Now, Paul has tried to get to Ephesus before, It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, that the Holy Spirit forbid or forbade. I don't know how to do the conjugation of that verb. The Holy Spirit didn't let Paul go to Asia, to Asia Minor, and that's where Ephesus is. Think Turkey, modern-day Turkey. That's where this is located. But now, finally, Paul is able to go to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was one of the biggest cities in the world. It was a leading center probably between 200 and 500,000 people. Now we go, that's not that big. But in that day and age, that was a huge, huge city. Ephesus was a center of trade. It was a center of finance. It was a center of commerce. It was a center of education. It was a center of entertainment. It was a center for sports. Sounds like a lot of our modern day cities. And it also was an incredibly wealthy, wealthy place. It housed the temple to the fertility goddess Artemis in Latin Diana, or that's what the Romans called her. And it was this temple of Artemis that was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was probably the biggest structure on earth at the time. This is, this is no small place. It's as big as a football field. It's giant, a huge place. And of course, Artemis was the goddess of fertility, but this wasn't like a, a tame kind of worship, a tame kind of church service, you might think. Like this is a, a degrading kind of sexual place. In fact, sexual degradation was actually part of the worship of Artemis. So that there was temple prostitution of both men and women. A lot of objectification of people, a, a lot of degradation of bodies. Now, Ephesus was a place where there was no sensual pleasure denied. Sounds a lot like our culture today, doesn't it? Material success, affluence captivated the minds of the Ephesians. It consumed their energy. They were working, working, working for what? For the weekend, for the good life, for more. It consumed their energy. All the happiness that money could buy was offered in Ephesus. 
And yet, it was a facade. It was, it was a ruse. It was an elaborate illusion because even though it looked good, it wasn't good. It was corrupted. It's like an apple that looks beautiful on the outside and then you bite into it and you find it's rotten to the core. Underneath the beauty, there was this intense fear, anxiety, the kind of fear and anxiety that some of us know that happens probably around 3 a.m. in the night. And the pressure's mounting and you don't know where to turn. That kind of deep anxiety, fear is under everything, underneath the beauty. What passed for spirituality was really demonized occult worship. The place was full of darkness, but it, it had a pretty veneer. Witchcraft, big, big, big in Ephesus. This is where Paul has been itching to go to tell people about Jesus. And he's finally arrived. Go to verse 2. <clears throat> the end of verse 1. There, when he arrived in Ephesus, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Now, What's going on here? There's a, uh, some speculation that is happening. You have to sort of think about it and use your creative imagination a little bit. But we can deduce that these are probably converts of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was huge, huge, huge. People came from all over the world to hear John the Baptist preach. He was a big deal. They're either his converts or perhaps they're converts of his disciples. And so if you remember John's message, John's message was, hey, the king's about to come. I'm here to, to tear down things that are big and to raise up things that are low. I'm here to call and to make straight a path in the wilderness, a straight highway for our God. Everything that rises up against him, John had come to tear down in order that people might be prepared for the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the Messiah himself. And these guys have not heard at this point that the king has arrived. And so when Paul asks them, like, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They're like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? We don't, we don't know what you're talking about. Well, John had said, and remember this, like, I'm not worthy to stoop down and get on my knees and untie the sandals of the one who's about to come. He's so much higher, so much greater, so much more glorious. I baptize you with water for repentance, turning away from your life apart from God and turning to God, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And they hadn't heard that this had occurred. And so what does Paul do? The good preacher that he is, well, verse 5, uh, sorry, verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. He says, look, the answer you have been looking for is here. In fact, he arrived, he lived, he was crucified. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. He has ascended to heaven and he has now poured out the Holy Spirit, just like John said he would. He has poured out the Holy Spirit upon those who believe in him. Here's the thing, friends. God wants to pour out the Holy Spirit on people's lives. And, and, that's, and that's what he came to do. And what we begin to see here 
is a completed conversion in process. On hearing this, that is Jesus, the King who has come, the Messiah who has died, the Lord who has risen, the ascended Almighty who is now at the right hand of God, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yes, they had turned their lives toward God, but now they yielded their lives to Jesus. This is a complete conversion going on. They're yielding their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy, and there were about 12 men in all. And so we see pouring out upon them what we've seen countless times throughout the book of Acts. As people believe and are baptized, the Holy Spirit comes in power, and there is a manifestation of the Spirit's presence in their lives, a completed conversion. Because what we need to understand is that Jesus didn't just come to forgive you of your sins so you get to go to heaven later. That, that's part of the deal. But the forgiveness of your sins is just the way in. It's the way that your life gets cleansed. For what? So that you can now become one who the Holy Spirit lives in. God himself takes up residence. Here's the thing. You, you know what? You're too bad uh, to do anything with. He's got to start over. Incidentally, I was too bad uh, for him to do anything with. He had to start over with me. There's, there's a new life that he gives. It's not just about changing your behaviors. It's not just about believing some facts. It's about yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ, being forgiven of your sins so that God can fill your life. He can now be the new impetus, the new energy, the new power within you shaping you, changing you, making you desire the things of God so that you're not striving and working. You're doing it from grace, from a place of God's goodness to you. This is a complete conversion. And so I would just ask you today, as we begin and as we're walking into this, have you had a complete conversion? Oh, I was baptized. Yeah, great. Well, God's side is done. Have you believed? Yes. Oh, yeah, I believe do you have the Holy Spirit in you? I don't know. How would I know? I had a guy in my office not too long ago, late 30s-ish. I don't know. People all kind of look about the same to me. I know kids go, no, they all look old. Um, <clears throat> but to me, they're starting to look younger. <clears throat> and we're having this conversation, and, and I said, well, are you a Christian? He's like, I've been in the church my whole life. I said, that's not what I asked you. I'm, that's good. Are you a Christian? I said, well, how would I know? I said, that's the easiest thing of all. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord? Are you willing to confess him with your mouth? See, because our mouth speaks the overflow of what's in our hearts. You can't help but talking about what you love. And so if you love Jesus, you can't help but talking about him. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're saved. I was like, do you, do you, is that, can you do that? He's like, oh yeah. I think I've been doing that my whole life. I said, you've been saved a really long time. Can you do that? I don't mean just in church. Like, would you be willing to say to somebody, you know, I really believe Jesus is Lord. And here's why. You don't have to have all the facts figured out, but no, 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 I really believe this. I really believe he was raised from the dead. I'm really banking my entire existence on this one person. That's Christianity. 
That's a complete conversion. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life and you begin to see the effects. You may not speak in tongues. You may not prophesy, although I suspect you can if you so desire. God distributes gifts freely to those whose hearts are willing. But you will see a manifestation in every case of the Spirit's presence in some way. You know what I saw in that guy? Immediately he had peace. It's like his shoulders had been up here. You know that place? Some of you live in that place. And they just went like this. Because he suddenly went, oh my God, I'm at peace with God. I don't have to fear death. I'm okay, aren't I? I was like, yes, you're okay. And then you know what came? Joy. He had joy. Why? Because he knew he was a loved child of God. You can't help but have joy when the Holy Spirit is in you. I don't mean you're happy every day, every moment, but there's a joy that can't be taken away. Can you tap into the well of joy that's in you? It's not out there somewhere. It's in you because of the Holy Spirit. A complete conversion is what we're seeing going on here. Verse 8. And so Paul does what he always does. He enters the synagogue and for about three months he speaks boldly. He's declaring that the Messiah has come, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. Ah, But just like we've seen everywhere else, there's a response. Some of them respond favorably and others respond negatively. That's what the gospel does. Your heart will either soften to Jesus or it will get hard. Verse 9, but when some became stubborn. Anybody got any stubborn people in your life? You don't have to. You don't have to out your spouse, by the way. (laughs) When some became stubborn, there's a hardness emerging because they're unwilling to yield. They became stubborn because they continued in unbelief. Notice what happens. Your heart speaks through your mouth what's in it. There's an overflow, and they begin to speak evil against the way. They begin to disparage this weird Christian stuff, these fanatics, these fundamentalists. There's too much speaking evil of the way before the congregation. They're trying to diminish Jesus because what they're doing in their hearts is they're rebelling against him. There is no conversion going on in them. There's not even a process happening here. They're speaking evil of the way before the congregation. And so Paul, well, he's not going to throw his pearls before swine. He withdraws from them. He took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And so Paul leaves the synagogue just as he's done in almost every other place we've seen him go. And now he's among the Gentiles. He's among the non-Jews. He's speaking daily in the hall of Tyrannus or perhaps the school of Tyrannus. And this continues for two years. And what's the result? All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both, God, both Jews and Greeks. Now, remember, in Acts 16.6, the Holy Spirit forbade Paul from going into Asia Minor and here... Now, a couple years later, Paul's in Asia Minor, and what's happening? The word of the Lord is going throughout the whole place. In fact, and it's probably not Paul doing it in every case, his disciples are going out. They're outward bound. They're moving beyond. And the seven churches of Revelation are planted in this time period because they're all there in Turkey in Asia Minor. And so the word is going out. And what that tells us is, The Holy Spirit forbade him, but now there's this huge work going on is that timing matters. So be patient if you've got somebody in your life who seems to be resistant. That's your time to pray. Pray like crazy for them. Because the resistance might be them resisting the conviction they're under 
But you never know, there might be a complete conversion in the works and your prayers may be the very energy and life that God uses to help soften the defenses of their hearts so that the word can take root in them so that they might be completed converts and the Holy Spirit take up within them. That's for somebody here today. Timing matters because you've been, you've been waiting for a very long time and you're getting antsy and you just wonder, when's he coming back? Hold on, keep praying. So the word's going out. The spirit is present. There's a lot happening. Remember, this is a place, Ephesus, full of witchcraft, full of the occult. Like there's a lot of different kinds of spiritualities. And so what happens where places are very dark is God shows himself to be bigger. And as the word goes out and his people go out and as lives are being changed, God fills what's happening. It says God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Catch that. It's not Paul doing miracles. God doing miracles. That's very important because often when somebody starts to be used by God in a realm of power is that we go, oh, there's the healer. No, there's the healer. There's the healer. The Holy Spirit who lives in him is the one doing the healing. Paul's just laying his hands on them and praying for them. But then you see kind of this weird stuff going on. Handkerchiefs and aprons that he's been wearing have some kind of anointing on them. People are taking them out to the sick who can't get to Paul and they're getting healed. What this shows is not that here's the new formula for reaching people with for God, right? Sweaty handkerchiefs. That's not it. This is not a new formula. It's that people of faith who are stuck on beds who can't get to Paul, somehow God is in his graciousness going out to them and meeting them in their physical and spiritual needs. Why? Because God's that good. We, we don't want to look at the weirdness and, and judge the scriptures by our experience or lack of experience. What we want to do is allow the scriptures to challenge us and in them not to say, hey, that's weird, but to say, look at how good God is. Like, how good is your God? Mine's really good. And we see it here. Lord Jesus, he's healing people. And then what happens? Well, there's these itinerant exorcists. The demonic is real. You may not believe it. You may not have seen it. I've seen it. It's real. Um, It's not good. The enemy exists. He doesn't want you to believe in him. That way he can shoot at you kind of like from the bushes, right? Oh, this is just coincidence. No, it might be your enemy, the devil. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) You're welcome. So there these itinerant Jewish exorcists in verse 13, right? And they undertake to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. They're hearing about power and they want power, but they really want money because they're like, you know, exorcists for hire. We'll get rid of your problems. We'll drive out the evil spirits. And so what do they do? They think, oh, Jesus, this is a formula. This Jesus, we're like, we're going to, to use him because we've seen Paul speak in his name. And so we're going to drive these demons out. And so what do they say? to the demons and some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, verse 13, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. There's no conversion in these guys' hearts. Like, like this is some kind of formula they think is going to work. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, look, Jesus, I know Paul, I've even heard him, but who are you? That's not what you want to hear from a demon. (laughs) And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, mastered all of them, which means he kicked their tails. 
He whooped them, we would say. He overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's a bad way to end church. (laughs) That's not happening here, by the way. (laughs) You might get free, but you're not leaving without your clothes. Oh, joy is here today. Thank you, Lord. Oh, mercy. And, and so like they're trying to draw on the name of Jesus without being converted themselves, and it doesn't work. They have no authority. The kingdom of God always works by authority, and authority is delegated. The authority is in the name of Jesus, but the authority is delegated through a full conversion and through a right relationship. But as they get their butts kicked, God uses it for good. Verse 17, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. The word is out. Why? Because these are people who are oriented to spiritual things. And like, there's not just a, oh, hey, did you hear there's a new church in town? There is a huge buzz. Jesus is being made known. The word of God is prevailing. He's going out. And people are being converted. And what happens when you begin to, here's, here's something that happens. When you begin to move out of the realm of an intellectual ascent about the doctrines of God, and God begins to become real in your life, and your heart begins to be changed, and you begin to see the wonders of God, and you begin to see things that don't compute to your rational side, but, but you see and you go, well, it's biblical, and it's holy, and it's good. It might cause you to fear a little bit. I can't tell you how many people I've seen over the years come in here and encounter the presence of God in that way where you just, anybody ever just found yourself in here and you don't know why you're crying? You hate it because you don't want to even see you crying. But it's just the presence of God and, and whatever sorrow you brought or whatever anxiety, suddenly you have a peace and you know he's there and you know he loves you. Well, that also scares people because they don't really believe. And so the fear of the Lord, which is more about the recognition of the beauty of his holiness, it's starting to fill the place. And and when you understand the holiness of God, you know, it, it sort of puts a full court press on your life. And not everybody wants that. Fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, lifted up. Oh my God, he's beautiful. People aren't afraid to talk about how good and wonderful Jesus is. And here's where we begin to see a complete consecration. It's a complete conversion, but here's the complete consecration. Now, consecration is a word that we don't use. That is not an American word. Uh, You're not going to hear that on the evening news. Today, we had a complete consecration. (laughs) On, on either network. <laughs> Consecration means there's a setting apart for something holy and beautiful. Verse 18, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. They got honest. They got real. They're not just wearing church face. Y'all know church face. We've talked about it over the years. Church face is when you have a terrible morning getting here, but as soon as you step on the property, church face comes on. And somebody asks you, how are you doing? You're like, everything's great. No, it's not. Your world's falling apart, right? No, 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 no. There's a reality going on. There's a change happening. 
They're now believing. They're now believing the goodness of God. They're now vulnerable to the presence of God, the Holy One, the Beautiful One. And so they're willing out of the love they have received from Him to begin to trust others. They're confessing what? Their sins. They stop hiding these little uh, lesser gods that they've been toying around with. Like, I like grace and I like my sin too. Divulging their practices. They're getting honest about the dirty laundry in their lives. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them. Like they're breaking the power of the demonic, but they're breaking really the deep power of idols. And idols is not a word we use in our culture, but we do have to talk about it here. These are good things often that we make ultimate things. So, so they're willing to let go at a high cost, 50,000 pieces of silver, millions of dollars. This is how you know there's a complete consecration going on because it's costly. Grace is free, but it costs you everything. And if that doesn't make sense to your brain... You maybe haven't tasted it yet. It's free, but it, it'll cost everything because of the goodness of God and the holiness of God because God doesn't want to share you with lesser things. I do a lot of weddings over the course of the last 20-something years of marriage, and we always gather at the front of the church, often in the, the traditional buildings where there's a rail, but we would do it here if we're in here, and the groom is always on that side with his guys and looking dapper, and she's always there. There's never ever an ugly bride, by the way. She's glorious and she's beautiful. And they come together and in the presence of their friends and family and the living God, they say, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. I've never yet seen a groom and a bride standing there with another person saying, I honor you, but I kind of like to have a little bit on the side. (laughs) Could I just bring them with me into the marriage No, they're completely consecrating themselves for each other. Now, I know you're going, did he really say that? I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm still in process. God's working on me. But, But that's consecration. You don't bring other people into the marriage. And if you do, it's a betrayal of your vow. And it breaks the heart of the one whom you have pledged yourself to. And some of you who have experienced the betrayal in your marriage or through a divorce, know exactly the kind of pain that brings. It crushes you. That's what we do to God when we bring our idols into the relationship. Whether it's this kind of spiritual darkness they had, that they were recognizing this is no longer compatible with my life. But, but it can look like things that everybody else is saying, it's okay, a little pornography is not going to hurt you guys or ladies. Oh, no, 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 it corrupts the vessel. Oh, it desensitizes your heart. And if you're a married person, it's going to desensitize your intimacy and your relationship. God wants complete consecration. And this is not like a, a puritanical uptightness. God loves you so much and he's so holy and pure. He wants you holy and pure with him. Why? Because as we allow him by grace to change us, shining light on the things that are corrupting our hearts and we lay them before him by the power of his spirit, he changes us, he restores us. And guess what? He gives you more of who he is a deeper level of relationship, a deeper intimacy, you begin to experience the kindnesses 
in deeper ways. Some of you still don't believe me. Let me see if I can explain it a little more. Let's say you like brownies. Anybody like brownies? And if you don't, just pretend, okay? You like brownies, and I come to you, and I got a big tray of brownies. You go, wow, Chris, you love me. I do love you, man. And you experience my hospitality and the warmth and my gifts being experienced for you. And I say, oh, these are just all homemade. And you go, that is an interesting smell. What, what is that? Oh, that's the secret ingredient. What is the secret ingredient as you're about to bite into it? Well, I took a little bit of sludge from the sewer. Just a little tiny bit. I mixed it in the brownie batter. How many of you are still biting into that brownie? But it's just a little bit. I know there's maybe a little E. coli in there. (laughs) I'm trying to give you lunatic examples to illustrate. God wants a, a consecrated people. And this has to happen by grace as the Spirit shows us, as the Word convicts us. But it's costly because anybody who's ever laid something down, something that's dear to your heart, something that the Bible would call an idol, often that's like our greed, our selfishness with our time, our critical words toward others, our bitterness in our heart, our unwillingness to forgive somebody who hurt us. Like, let's get to the real stuff of life in the heart. It's costly to lay those things down. But when you do, There's a completeness of consecration that goes on. doesn't mean there won't be more, but in that moment, that thing, what God is leading you to, there comes the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful incense before your God. He loves you. He delights in you. And it may be accompanied by tears, and it may be costly financially, but, but when you see the real Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you, how much do I love you this much? And and when you experience the goodness of his presence, there is nothing truly too costly that you might have to lay down. Let me finish with this. You might need some other people to help you with it, though. You might need to confess it in your your life group or to a trusted friend or to a pastor. Because sometimes the things that get a hold of our hearts are hard to let go of. Really hard to let go of. But there's something that happens when we're open, when we're vulnerable. The Spirit comes in power. Well, I better wrap up. Verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And we find that Paul begins to set his sights on Rome. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you. Your joy is here today. And your kindness is here today. And I, I pray, Lord, that, that each person would know your kindness. We pray, Lord, that you would bring us to a completed conversion if we don't know you, Holy Spirit, or we haven't experienced you, Lord Jesus, that it, it, would, it would be so real in us and, and it would be so real that we would tell somebody about it. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead our hearts to complete consecration because we want to be a holy and pure bride for you. Jesus, do this work that you would be glorified. We pray in your name. Amen.